Hey, good morning, everybody, especially if you're a guest today. Glad that you're with us. We want to welcome all the online viewers, uh, whatever state or country you might be watching from. Thanks for being with us today. You know, our emphasis this year for 2017 as a church is risk-taking. It is about risk-taking because uh, we know and believe that God is real, the devil is real. We know that heaven is real, hell is real. Uh, we know that the only way to be forgiven of our sins and to be made right with God is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to believe in his death on the cross and his resurrection for forgiveness of our sins. And because of that, we just know we have a limited time to make an impact in this life, an impact that will both secure our relationship with God, but help other people secure their relationship with God. So God calls us out of our comfort, beyond our comfort, into the capacity that he's given us, and he's calling us to be risk takers, to be daring disciples, which means we take risks spiritually in our life, we take risks relationally in our lives, we take risks conversationally, and we take risks financially in our lives to try to grow the kingdom of the Lord. And so uh, we would like to call ourselves, as followers of Christ, people of faith. But the reality is, without uh, risk, there is no faith. And without faith, there is no risk, because risk is faith in action. And when we talk like that, what we're talking about is obedience to God being lived out for his purposes and for the benefits of other people. And so to help us focus on that this year, uh, we said, let's start this year looking at some of the earliest risk takers in the Bible. Hopefully all of you have started this year strongly reading in the Bible. It's not too late to dive right in. Uh, we put together a Bible reading plan. It's out in the information center. It's online. It's on our social media. And uh, what we're doing is we're doing an Old Testament chronological. So right now we're looking at some of the earliest risk takers in our Bible reading plan. And so we thought we'd teach about some of those risk takers in more detail early in the year. And today's risk taker is someone uh, we've been reading about lately in our Bible reading plan. And his uh, name is Job. Job. Some of you uh, think his name is Job. It is not Job. It is Job. Just to clarify. And Job was willing to take a massive risk. One of the greatest risks we could probably take in our relationship with God. Job was willing to trust God in the midst of pain and adversity. Job was willing to trust God when life was delivering him um, brutal blows, and, he, and none of it made sense. And the risk he took was to trust God in that moment. See, it's easy for us to love God and trust God when it's, when it's like smooth sailing, everything's going well, everything's good in our life, we're hashtag blessed, you know. That's when we love God, it's easy to trust God. But what happens when life throws you a curveball? What happens when that wrecking ball comes out of nowhere? What happens when the rug is pulled out? What happens when you're blindsided by deep pain, situations, circumstances that you would uh, not wish upon yourself or even your enemy sometimes uh, come into our life? At that point in time, do we still trust God when it hurts? Do we still see him as a good God, a loving God, a present God, a caring God, when there's pain and adversity. I know for me, uh, life has definitely thrown me some uh, curveballs and, and, and moments where I had to just uh, b decide whether I trusted God or not, whether it was those uh, dynamics as a, as a kid that were difficult in my family, whether it was the divorce of, of my parents, whether it was uh, the time that I worked for a very insecure and dishonest man who just made my, my joy uh, leave my ministry and turn my friend against me, or whether it was the years of infertility that my wife and I had to navigate, I know what it feels like 
to have difficult situations where you just have to trust God. But here's what I've learned, and here's what I think many of us have learned, and here's what we see the Bible teach, that when we trust God when it hurts, it's risky, but it's rewarding. Let me just say that again. Man, it is risky, but rewarding to trust God when it hurts. You know, I thought about that even this morning. Uh, you know, for those of you who know our story, you know that we went through years of infertility as a couple, and uh, God just chose um, us not to have biological children, but he, he gave us a, a huge love and capacity for adoption, and so all three of our kids, were, uh, you know, God grew our family through adoption. And whether it was uh, that first drive with that first baby, our son coming home, or whether it was our first girl coming into our life and all that fun new princess stuff that was coming in, uh, those first two adoptions were amazing. But, but last night, um, I went to bed a little earlier than uh, my family. They had, uh, had some fun doing some other stuff, and I was prepping for this morning still a little bit. And, um, and I drifted off to sleep, and my little seven-year-old daughter, Faith, who we adopted from China, I, I remember kind of waking up as she came in, and she kissed me on the cheek and said, night-night, Daddy, and, and went to bed. And every kiss she gives me, I remember there was a moment when we first got on China, that cleft lip that cleft palate that had no hope of being repaired. And every time those little lips touch my face, I think about the physical healing that's happened to her face. I think about the emotional healing that has hopefully happened in her heart and our hearts. And I go, you know what? Those were painful years of infertility. But we trusted God. And when I get those little kisses from those little lips, ah, it was so worth it. Man, what a joy. What a reward. It, it is risky to trust God when it hurts but it's rewarded. And that's exactly the lesson that God taught Job and that God can teach us as we study Job. So I'm going to invite you right now to open up your Bibles to the book of Job. And uh, I'm going to tell you right now the difficult task I have. I'm going to try to give you a message on Job in about 15 to 20 minutes. Oh, Lord, be with me in this moment of adversity. Um, The reason being is because we've got a couple modern-day risk-takers for Jesus that... um, Man, we have just grown to love these last several years, and I want them to come up and just hang out with us for a little bit at the end of this message and talk to us about the lessons they've learned about trusting God as uh, they serve and trust Him in a very unique way. So I want to uh, make the best of both those opportunities. So let's first look at the book of Job and really just kind of hit hard, hit fast, hit deep with the message we see there. Job 1.1. Job 1.1 says this, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Uz was an ancient region. Uh, most scholars have done the study and, 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 and looked and think it's probably in the southern part of Israel and Jordan. Uh, that's the region that we believe Uz was. Also, it says that Job was blameless. That doesn't mean sinless, right? Blameless isn't sinless. It means that he was a God-fearing man. He had exceptional character. He wanted to do what was right and pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. So he avoided sin to the best of his uh, human ability to do so. That's why he was blameless, if you will. And Job was a very wealthy man. Uh, The language that we see around Job was seen only one other time in Scripture, and that was with Solomon. We know that Solomon was the wisest man, the, 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 the wealthiest man that ever lived. But long before Solomon was ever born, and there was another man who was uh, the, the wealthiest of his time, and that was Job. In fact, we, if we were to summarize Job's uh, life with what we see in Scripture, uh, he had 10 children. God blessed him with 10 children, seven sons, three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, you know, 500 yoke, which means two, uh, so 1,000 oxen, 500 donkeys, lots and lots of servants. And so uh, dude had a lot of animals, 
Dude had a lot of property to hold those animals. Uh, Dude had a lot of people to take care of those animals. Job was a very wealthy man, but more importantly, he was a very godly man. So what happens? Let's, Let's look at Job 1, verses 6 through 12 together. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. The sons of God is reverence to angels, by the way. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. A couple quick theological lessons we learn. One, uh, sons of God are reference to angels. Uh, a lot of times we see in drawings and some theolo- uh, theology that Satan's like locked up in hell and you know, he's not able to do anything. No, that's not accurate. One day he will be, but for now he roams. He's a troublemaker. He causes problems. And so we see that he is a roamer. And what we see here, and this is probably the most vexing part of reading Job, is that God gives Satan permission to do damage to Job's life. Like, he gave him permission. Like, it wasn't like Satan came into the presence of God and says, hey, I've seen one of these guys that loves you. I, I want permission to go do something to him. It was God's idea. Like, you almost have a moment where if Job were to know, Job would be like, what are you doing throwing me under the bus. You see this moment unfold in the heavenlies where this demonic, rebellious angel, I'm just around causing trouble. Well, have you considered my servant Job? He's a good guy. He loves me. And Satan's going, of course he loves you. You, you, You've blessed him. He's hashtag blessed. He has all these things. And it's like, he's good, right? But if you take away your hand, you let me mess with them, he'll curse you. He'll abandon his faith. He won't love you. He won't trust you. And God's going, okay, let's test that theory. You can do anything you want to him except touch his body. You can't touch him, but you can touch everything else he has. You have my permission to do so. And God lets out the leash a little bit and gives the devil permission to do that. Now, we have to work our theology for a second and go, why would God do that? Like, that's bothersome to us. Here's the thing. We know that God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His reasons are beyond our reasons. So uh, the quick answers that we sometimes guesstimate, because we have to guess on God's heart, is why would God allow this scenario to develop? One is, I think God was allowing it to happen to prove that his word is always going to reign true. God said, Job would trust me even if difficulty comes. Then Satan says, no, he won't. And God says, okay, let's test that theory. We, we, we get a sense here that God knew that Job's heart would remain faithful. And of course, that gets me thinking, like, would God ever allow the devil to do that to me or to you? Like, could that be said of us that, like, no, you can do what you want to this person because, you know what, in the end, they'll still trust me. Like, could God say of us what he said of Job, that, he, that, that we would be faithful to trust him and rely on him and, and believe in him and believe him to be a good, loving, uh, heavenly father, even if difficulty were to come into our life? And so we know that part of the reason probably was to prove God at his word. Second, and this is really big, this was uh, a huge lesson because this goes against some of our bad theology that's crept in our life. We let superstition and works theology do a number on us. 
Sometimes we believe that if we're good enough, if we're righteous enough, then God will shield us from difficulty. That is not a biblical teaching. I want you to go back to what was said of Job. Job was what? A blameless man, a righteous man. He was a godly man. And yet, God let difficulty and pain and adversity come flooding into his life. So we should never think that if we're just good enough and godly enough, then we're protected. If anything, it might make you a target, <laughs> right? That, that, that when, when the devil sees you loving God, he's going to be like, well, let's see if we can shake that up. And so I think one of the reasons God allowed this is a reminder that good, uh, bad things still happen to good people. Bad things happen to godly people. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. We live in a fallen world. Uh, no one's exempt from difficulty. And so it's a good reminder that God allows difficulties even in our life and for godly people. And also we see here that a reason for this is that it would test and perfect Job's faith. And God was allowing difficulty into Job's life because it was going to test and grow and and strengthen his faith. Uh, We know basic understanding of muscular development. How do you grow a muscle? You work it out, right? It has to be broken down and put back together. You want faith? Well, guess what? It's got to be tested. It's got to be broken down a little bit so it can be built back up, stronger, bigger, better than before. And God was allowing this work to grow the faith of Job. These are just some of the reasons that help us understand a little bit about why this. But Job knew his character, and he allowed this um, uh, adversity to come. Well, here comes adversity, first wave. What took place? The raiding party stole oxen and the donkeys. Lightning storms killed the sheep and the servants. A raiding, another raiding party stole camels and killed more servants. And then all his children, all Job's children, died when they were in a home eating together and a windstorm collapsed the house that they were in. In one day, literally, Job lost everything. Utter and complete loss in one day. All his possessions, all the people he cared about, everything was gone. What was Job's reaction to that? Look at me at Job 120 with me. Look at Job 120 with me. What was his reaction? Then Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground. These are, these are uh, cultural signs of deep, deep grief, right? He rose, uh, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and cursed God. Is that what it says? And it says he worshiped. He worshiped God. In fact, he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. This is amazing. Job has lost every tangible thing that matters to him. And instead of cursing God, He worships God. That is powerful. That's risky. He took the risk to love God, worship God, trust God in the midst of uttermost loss. See, Job's theology and trust in God is mature. It's robust. And it kind of is in contrast to a lot of theology that some of us have accepted. Some of us have this theology. The Lord gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. That's our theology. The Lord gives. We have taken a big eraser in our mental theological handbook and erased, he takes away. We, we don't think he has a right to do that. The, the Lord is only good if the Lord only gives. That's our theology. That's not the scriptures. Job says, no, the Lord gives and what? 
takes away. The Lord gives and takes away. You know what he's saying? He's saying the Lord is the author of life. He created it all. He can take it all. If my life is going to glorify him by what he gives me, awesome. If my life is going to glorify him by what he takes away from me, awesome. Blessed be God no matter whether he gives or takes away because he does both. If you want maturity, you want a robust theology, make sure you got it all in place. Now, that doesn't make it easy, right? It doesn't make it feel good. We have all lost people and things that are dear to us. Some of us are losing things and people that are dear to us. Some of us will lose things and people that are dear to us. Will we take the risk of saying, blessed be God. He gives, he takes away. Well, that was phase one. (laughs) The testing isn't over, right? We pick up the scene in Job chapter 2. It's a complete repeat. Verses 1 through 6, same exact showdown. By the way, the devil was wrong, right? Job didn't curse God. He just loved him more. And so we see the same scenario develop. And then all of a sudden, uh, we see again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, it's like deja vu here, from where have you come? <laughs> Satan said to the Lord, ah, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it, causing trouble, is a great translation. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. And then he adds this, he holds still his integrity. He holds fast in his integrity. He still loves me. He still trusts me. He still believes I'm a good God, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All that a man has he'll give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, He's in your hand, only spare his life. Do you see what God just basically did? They had the showdown again. Hey, you want to try Job again? You can take another shot. And Satan's all, you know what? It's all that stuff. He doesn't care about his stuff. You're right. Job had a heavenly fixation, not an earthly fixation, right? He says all his stuff, but let me touch him. Let me get my talons into his skin, and then he'll definitely curse you. I want you to see what the father just did. He said, you can do anything you want to him, but kill him. That's what he just said. You can do anything you want to him but kill him. And and as you look at the the whole overall scenario, what weaponry did God allow the devil to use in his destructive desires? Natural disasters, wind, lightning, people. He used raiding parties to steal and and to kill people. And now he's unleashing infirmity. Like when you look at the headlines, when you look at your life and you see natural disasters, you see people doing evil things, you see sickness, most of it is probably just a product of the fall, right? We live in a fallen world, the contaminated world that has sin in it. A lot of it's just from that. Some of those things have been used by God himself to to exert his will on earth and people and people groups. Some of them, it's just the devil causing problems, guys. The God has allowed a little bit of a leash for a season, for a season, to to use. That's why we pray against sickness, right? So we pray against a lot of those things because some of it might be demonic in nature. Well, what does he do? Adversity, second wave. He's struck with boils from head to toe. I don't think we understand this. God just said you can do anything you want but kill him. I don't think the devil's going to be like, ooh, let me just give him an itchy little rash, you know? He's probably going to unleash one of the most painful, debilitating, 
insanely frustrating diseases possible. And so he's covered in boils from head to toe. He's reduced to sitting in a pile of ashes, which, by the way, it's not like Job just decided to make a pile of ashes in his living room and sit in it, right? Typically, what would happen in this culture is that lepers and people with great skin diseases would be forced outside the city to live outside the city near the dumps where there's lots of ashes. This means that Job is outside the city in isolation with broken pottery scraping the boils, probably opening them up to try to get relief. That's his life right now. On top of that, his wife turns against him. Look at Job 2, verses 9 through 10. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. You know what she's saying? She's saying, you're telling me and you're telling everybody else you've done nothing wrong. You haven't sinned. You haven't messed up. That You have no clue why this is happening to you. You're lying. You've sinned. You've got secrets. You've done something wrong against God. You're not admitting it. Just admit it. Just curse God. Let him kill you. Get it over with. Hold fast your integrity. You say you're innocent, you're lying. Look at Job's response to her. He says, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. When he says you speak like one of the foolish women, you know what he's saying? Think about this for a second. The Psalms say that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says there's no God. He's saying you're speaking like a foolish person. You're speaking like a person who doesn't believe in God, doesn't trust God, doesn't love God. You've just tapped out spiritually. You have an immature faith. Should we only receive good from God? That's immature. It's incomplete. It's not full theology. Shall we not receive bad too? And in all this, Job did not sin. He took the risk to trust God, even though it was painful. He's got painful sores. He's got isolation. He's not been abandoned. Job's in bad shape. If you want to read, and this is the mistake a lot of us make. When we start to read the book of Job, um, which we're in right now, a lot of people like to read the first couple chapters. Ooh, this is exciting. And then they like to read the last couple chapters because that's when God restores everything. In the middle, they get kind of bored, like, uh, we'll forget. There's just a lot of chatter here. Chatty, chat, chat. We're done. Don't neglect the middle of Job. It's profound. Because you got Job's buddies showing up. And they're showing up and going, oh man, you're in bad shape. And they're good friends. They hung out for seven days. They, they, they had great intentions, great motives. But basically all they did was give him bad theology. Dude, just admit what you did to God. Obviously you did something. Look how bad a shape you're in. Look at all the stuff you've lost. You've done. He's going, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. And this is what's going on for chapters and chapters and chapters. And you see a man being tormented by what he knows to be true and what others are, are perceiving. And, 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 you know, we sugarcoat Job. We think like Job just like whistled his way through all his infirmity going, oh, I just love God so much. This is a beautiful experience. Oh, look at the sunshine today. No, when you read through Job, Job's like, God, I got an issue here. I don't understand why you're doing this, why you're allowing this. I'm not happy with it. I want to take up words with you. I don't get it. I haven't done anything. Yet, I'll trust you. I, tr I don't like it, but I trust you. I'm not happy, but I'll trust you. I'm in pain, but I trust you. Some of you are like, well, why do I need to read the middle of Job? You just told me. Read it. Read the details. <laughs> read the details. It's good. You know, in comparison to Job... Perhaps our losses and troubles don't compare. Maybe we look at Job and go, well, he lost everything. I've, I've just lost something. It doesn't matter. Pain is pain. But the principle is the same, guys. Will we take the risk 
of trusting God when pain and adversity come flooding into our life. Because pain and adversity come flooding into our lives, don't they? They come. And Job wrestled with the situation. He had issues, but he, he trusted. He trusted God. In fact, he said something astounding and incredibly risky. And if you can remember any verse, if there's one verse you can remember in the entire book of Job, this is one of them. It's Job 13, 15, verse A. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I'll hope in him. That word hope, that's the Hebrew word uh, yachal. It means to wait on, to hope in, to trust. Though he slay me, I trust him. Do you get that? Notice he doesn't say, though he might let me be slain, or though he allowed me, though he, like if God himself, like all that's left is to take my life. And if God were to do that, I'll still trust him. Because God has a right to do it, and I don't understand it all. But though he slay me, I trust him. Wow. See, here's the thing. We all probably don't have a problem saying that. We all could probably say that. Like, hey, man, if God wants to take me out, I'll trust him. Though he slay me, I trust him. That's not where we usually feel the tension. The tension is, though he slay my children. Though he slay my parents. Though he slay my friends. Though he slay my job. Though he slay my health. Because those things leave us in a place where we feel the pain. It's easy to say, well, slay me and get it done with, and I'll still trust you. <clears throat> but if we want that faith muscle to be worked out, we have to be in a place of trusting God in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the loss that we've experienced. Job took the risk of trusting God. Is that true of us? If God takes the things and the people that are dearest to you, if he allows those, whether it be the product of the fall, the tragedy, sickness, are you going to take the risk of still trusting God even though it hurts, even though you don't understand? And that's the big lesson we can get from Job. And here's the thing. If you do, it's rewarding. It's rewarded. Now, how did Job get rewarded? Well, when you get to the end of the book, you see in Job 42 how it's rewarded. It says, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Verses 12 to 13 say, the Lord blessed the later days of Job more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons, three daughters. Verses 16 through 17 says, after this, Job lived 140 years, saw his sons, his sons, four generations, and Job died an old man full of days. Is that the way it works? Does God always reward with physical reimbursement? Job got everything back, man. He got double his possessions, and he had 10 more children. That's amazing. Some of you, of, of you are thinking, oh, that's how it works. Lord, take my house. Take my cars. Take, take my job. Take anything you want. Now, when do I get it doubled up again? When, when does that happen? It might never happen. I think the reward looks different for us. Some of the, re- some of the rewards we get are, are, are growth, strength, endurance, peace, comfort, joy, blessings on the other side, some of them tangible, a lot of them intangible. But no matter what, it's risky to trust the Lord, but rewarding when we're going through difficult seasons. It's one of the things that we see. Job had a heroic trust and a risky God. He just took it, and God rewarded him for it. And it's because he had an eternal perspective. He knew that it was about heaven, not about earth. Guys, that's what our relationship with Jesus does for us. It helps us know that it's not about this life. 
that what we gain or lose here is not what makes us or breaks us or identifies us or gives us value or worth. It's all about who we are as a child of God. And that having faith in Christ and believing in his death and resurrection and being made right with God, knowing that we have an inheritance in heaven. If you are in Christ, you've got an inheritance waiting that surpasses anything you will ever experience on earth. And Job let himself be guided by that. We need to let ourselves be guided by that too. Some of you don't have that to guide you. Some of you are sitting here really struggling because you don't have a relationship with Christ. Like the first risk of faith you have to take is to believe in this God who gives and takes away, who loves you. And some of you might think, I don't like the whole takeaway part. Oh, trust me, the takeaway part can be very good because the Lord gives you life and he can take away your sin. That's the purpose of the cross. But you've got to surrender yourselves to him. You've got to give yourselves to Christ to believe. Some of you have allowed pain to distance yourself between God. And you loved God, you trusted God, but in the midst of pain, you recharacterized God, said, no, God's not good, he's bad. He's, not, he's an evil God. He's an unkind God. And it just means that you've allowed your pain to overwhelm you and not see God clearly. This is a chance for you to come back and experience the fullness of God, both the good and the difficult side of what it really means to follow God in this life, to trust in Christ in this life. Here's the application that I really want to drive home with you guys today. We come back to this place where it's risky but rewarding to trust God when it hurts. Here's the basic application. Not only do you have to believe it, you have to say it. I think when we say it, it helps us. Like, for example, Lord, it hurts that my parents died, but I will trust you. Lord, it hurts that I lost that job, but I will trust you. Lord, it hurts that this diagnosis, this sickness is in my life. This medication hurts. This, these these uh, treatments I'm taking hurt. It hurts to watch my loved ones take the treatment. It hurts, God. But I will trust you. It hurts to leave family and friends, but I'll trust you. It hurts not hold a child that I once had or to hold a child that I wish I could have. But, help me, I will trust you. If anything, that's what you got to walk out of here with, guys. The determination, the dedication, the daring nature to trust God when it hurts and it doesn't make sense. Lord, I don't know why this is happening, but I will trust you. That's the application we need to make today. Well, I want to spend some time with a couple that's become very near and dear to us in the recent years who lived this out in a, a very powerful way. I'm going to invite Tony and Kaylin to join me up here. Tony and Kaylin uh, uh, are a neat couple. They are from Florida. And several years ago, they felt a call from the Lord to go serve in Indonesia. And they are serving on Pearl Island, which is an island that we've adopted as a church. And uh, Pearl Island has the Soli people on it, an island with three million Muslims. And this couple has given up all that's comfortable to go be a risk taker for Jesus in Indonesia. And so we love you guys, and we're so glad that you guys are here with us. Uh, just join me up here. We're going to chat it up for a little bit. Um, Basically, uh, they have come in this week. They're spending time with our teams, with our church. Uh, they're, they're updating some people on things, connecting, and we had the opportunity to bring them into service. So I'm like, I got to try to teach as short as possible, which I failed miserably, and, um, and just spend time with you guys. I just want you guys to share right now because you guys are risk takers for Jesus. Like, you stepped out of your comfort, the comfort that you had, and stepped beyond that into a capacity that God's given you to serve a people group you didn't even know about you know, uh, before you even uh, stepped out there and served. So I'd love for you just to share with us about, you know, 
What got you out there? Um, what's been some of the risky stuff that you've experienced? Update us on a cool story. Also, connecting with Job, progress and, and, and the beautiful things we see happening don't come without a cost. How have you guys experienced hardship and uh, have to trust God in the midst of that as well? So why don't you guys just share with us for a little bit? Well, we just, we thank you all so very much for having us here. We, um, like Pastor said, we are from South Florida, so the weather here, um, everything's foreign to us as well. But there's a warmth that we always feel. This is our fourth time, uh, sorry, the third time we've been here with uh, the CVC family. And we are always, always so blessed and encouraged by our time. So um, I wanted to start with just an introduc introduction on us. And uh, we, um, we got married and still had a couple years of school left. We were in... Um, University and uh, Tony was actually also uh, a drummer in a band, and uh, that was definitely the the way that we thought we were going to go. Uh, Tony was in music; he's a musician, but um, but that just that to say that missions was not at all on our radar. We um, we didn't grow up in a church that was um, going on actively involved in missions, and we it was just we weren't aware of um, of that opportunity that it is. So. Um, it wasn't until some of our friends in our church um, and in other churches in our area started going on some short-term mission trips, a lot like CVC does every year. And uh, we were like, "Where? what are you doing? Where are you going? And, okay, um, tell us more about this. And they began to tell us stories and, and um, show us pictures of what they did on their trip. And... Uh, and so we were just, we were, we were kind of taken aback when we started learning and we were getting educated through our friends and just uh, through being aware that, um, that this is actually going on in the world and that there is actually people in the world right now that have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't know the hope that he provides for his children. So, um, so we were kind of like, you mean like, you mean like 200 years ago, uh, not now, like no, no, now, now there are people that have never heard and there is no one there telling them about it. Uh, so that really stirred our hearts and it really um, made us actively pursue like, can we do something? We, we can do something. Let's, let's do this. Let's go. And uh, so we started the journey with the IMB uh, to, to reach the people of Indonesia with the gospel. What I, what I love about your story, uh, one of the things I love about your story that you didn't share is your very first mission trip is when you went to that island. Yeah, that's like, right. That was it. it was like, yeah. So, so how CVC is is going on multiple trips per year, and and a lot of people go on multiple trips. Yeah, that wasn't me. I had never gone on a mission trip until we got into Indonesia. So, um, had no clue. Uh, but uh, I just want to be. Uh, I give you a little bit of an update. Give you a little bit of encouragement of how uh, God is using you, CVC. Uh, to see some things happen among the Soli. Um, this last summer, we had the privilege to have uh, several teams come, and, uh, and we were going into areas of the island and, uh, with the sole purpose of trying to uh, share the gospel and, and find those that were open to it. And so we got to an area in the north of the island where there's mountains, and um, we, we were going around with, the, with the, the mindset that this is a new area. Let's just go, kind of feel the feel uh, what's going on, how God is moving, and uh, going out and doing prayer walking and, and just walking the streets looking for conversations that we can have. And so one day we were walking and got into a conversation with this one family, and then to the side there was this young man standing off to the side, and uh, he was looking at us very eagerly, and so uh, we start to engage him in conversation, uh, come to find out he's a Trek guide, he's uh, uh, an English speaker, he's wanting to practice his English, so he's excited to talk to us. And so through that, we were able to, in our conversation, share the gospel with him. And at the end of that conversation, 
Uh, you could see his excitement about it. And so he said, oh, this is great. We're going to be here tomorrow. Uh, we are staying the night. So could we come back and do the story of Abraham with you? Um, and so he said, yeah, that would be great. So the next day we go with the team and we uh, find him at his, at his home. Uh, and he was there with his best friend. And so we share the story of Abraham. And then at the end, um, they're excited. They're saying, oh, this is something that, that we love because, you know, we've been studying the holy books. Um, but we haven't been able to find the book that has Matthew and John. Do you guys have that book? And we say, trying to hold down our excitement, yeah, we have that book. Um, I think I have an extra one. So, so we run back to the car, grab the Bible, bring it back. And for the next, next hour, sitting in, in his living room with his best friend, his family, his mom, his grandmother, his, his uncle, were all there, and opening the Bible for the very first time for them to hear straight from God's word. Um, uh, and, and so that was an amazing experience. And I, and I tell you that story because uh, that is not because of anything, but because we knew that prayers were being uh, lifted uh, for that team and for our time. Uh, so even though you might not go on a trip, even though you not, might not be able to, to physically go, uh, your prayers are vital uh, to what we do. And we're seeing how God is answering those prayers throughout um, our time. Yeah, so we, we just want to say thank you for um, your willingness to, to see the need and count the solely people as worth, uh, worth the opportunity to hear the gospel. And, um, and, and that is just huge that, that the church as a family has caught that vision. And um, the last couple days we've been in Ohio, and we've been so, so blessed by time together with people from um, the church family here. And last night was especially, uh, especially dear to us because it was a, kind of like a reunion uh, gathering of all the teams from CVC that have ever stepped foot on Pearl. So, uh, so for us, this was... This was amazing because I was telling Tony that it reminded or it made me think of what it will be to come as a reunion into heaven. Because I, I haven't, uh, I, I know a lot of the people in that room uh, didn't know each other just yet. They were meeting and um, they just knew that they had, a, they had time spent on Pearl Island. And, but for Tony and myself, who were part of all the logistics and we were part of each team, meeting each team player that came along the, route, uh, the road, we saw like, how all of this was just intertwined together to be the story for how God is reaching the solely people. So uh, it just, it was amazing to me to not only see how the prayers of CVC are moving in the hearts of, of the solely people, uh, like the man that Tony and the team met, but also that God is moving in the hearts of the, the people here at CVC to be about reaching the nations for Jesus. And so engaging in unreached people doesn't come without cost. Um, when we talk about Job, when we look at Job, Job's life, um, we can very well identify with, with a lot of that adversity um, that we experience. Um, and so I want to sh just share with you how, how there's adversity that we, we have. Um, a lot of people might think, oh, you're missionaries. You're these super spiritual people, and uh, God is just his hand is on you and you are just seeing miracles happen and living in mud huts and, you know, all this kind of thing. Um, that's really not reality. Um, we're just like you. Uh, and so, uh, especially as we look at the task at hand with the, the three million people uh, that have yet to hear, um, that is a, a, a humongous task to take on. And so, so the enemy is crafty, right? He puts this seed of doubt 
in our hearts. Who do you think you are that you're going to come here and this people that have been in generations and generations and not knowing Jesus and you think you're going to be able to do something? Yeah, right. So this doubt gets in. And then uh, do you think you're qualified for this? You don't know anything about how to plant churches. You don't know anything about how to share with Muslims. You're not an expert in this. Or you brought your family into this situation with the situation of health and health care and, and with how things are, there's no infrastructure for playgrounds and, you know, all this thing. So this doubt starts to really get deep-seated in, into our hearts. And, and I, I just remember there were times uh, in this last term where we, I just said, I can't, I can't do this. I, I just crying and saying, I, I just want to go home. Uh, and so uh, the enemy uses, just like in Job, his friends, his wife, these people that came against him, telling him lies, um, which could have easily thrown him off track. Uh, but in the example of Job, we see that he didn't. And to share another example of that adversity, um, we were here on Wednesday night where we got to share with Seek Week a little bit about a story with um, one of our daughters. We, um, we've had both of our girls while we've been serving on Pearl Island. They are two and a half and one now. And, um, but a, a little over a year ago, our, um, our older daughter, Sayla, uh, she started to get violently ill. Ill, and it was um, one of my greatest fears for just where we were and the remoteness of the island. And uh, it got to the point of severe dehydration as well, and we tried to seek local care for her, um, but that just began to make it um, get worse. So we found ourselves on an emergency flight out to the, the best uh, city in, in that region in Southeast Asia to, uh, to get better medical care for her. So after a couple days, um, the doctor is saying, that, you know, nothing's coming up on tests. There's not really a clear answer to what this is, but um, she's responding well to this, the treatment for the symptoms. And I think in a couple of days, she can, probably, um, she can probably get out of the hospital. So that was great. And we, um, we started to, uh, to feel like it was okay for Tony to go back to Pearl Island as another team was flying in that day. Uh, so we did that. And then as soon as Tony left, uh, Sayla just began to uh, rapidly spiral downward. And she, <laughs> sorry, I'm very emotional about this. Um, but she just began to, um, to get a lot worse. So then I found myself five months pregnant with our second baby girl, alone in a foreign island, a foreign, foreign country again, um, by myself with no answers. And um, I just remember begging the medical professionals, like, is she going to be okay? Is she going to make it tonight? And just... just just crying out to God, like, what are you doing? What, what, why, why, why am I, why my baby girl? Um, and just, just so much doubt and questions. And um, a friend of mine encouraged me with uh, Psalm 91. And in Psalm 91, I so encourage you to read it in the middle of your adversity. But um, it just says over and over and over again about how God takes care of his children. And it just says, left and right. I will provide. I will rescue you. I will care for you. And, um, and then I also noticed that it only says one thing that we must do. The only thing that it says that I must do, it says, if you make the Lord your refuge, you just need to trust him. So as I was standing there, I just realized like, I, I don't know what's going on. There's so many unknowns, but Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. You're in control of this. And 
So um, as we as we continued on, she uh, she was hospitalized for another couple of weeks, and uh, she fully recovered. And she had uh, she was diagnosed with gastroenteritis, but 100% now fully healthy and doing really well. And um, yes, praise God. And uh, but um, but what what I learned in that was that through that adversity, through that time of doubt, I started to realize where is my trust. There are places, and your city included, where you can go right down the street to the best emergency room and one of the best in the world. But is your trust in that facility and what's available to you? Or is it in the creator who knows the ins and outs in every breath of your child, of your family? So I learned for myself in ways that I needed to be stretched to make that, um, to understand what it really meant to trust the Lord. And so my reward is through that, getting to know him deeper, getting to understand his love for his children, and knowing that he is worthy to make any kind of risk. So we realize that adversity is not unique to us. Uh, just because we're overseas doesn't mean that we all don't experience the same thing. But it's what we do with that adversity. It's what we do with the suffering. In James 5, uh, James talks about Job, and he says, uh, James, uh, Job is a great example of uh, patience and suffering. But then at the end, in verse 10, and, and then at 11, he says, but what we see in Job and his steadfastness is the purpose of God, and that is his compassion and his mercy. And so in our adversity, in these, in these hard times and suffering, the glory goes to God. And in Job, that's what he did. He gave the glory to God. Um, and, and God will see us through it. And maybe it doesn't come out the way we thought it would. Maybe it doesn't doesn't result in, in the things that we thought, but God is in control, and he is on his throne, and we can put our trust in him. And so just to bring it full circle, um, through all of the adversity, we have seen some amazing things happen, and I want to give you a, an amazing report that um, right now, uh, even since we've been here, there's been four baptized solely people um, in the last several months. And, um, and for the first time ever, we have two of those uh, baptized believers come together uh, for the first uh, meeting that could be our first potential church. Um, so we talk about reward. Sometimes our reward isn't here and now. Sometimes our reward we won't see until we're in eternity and we're able to sit down and, and you get to meet face to face that solely person who you prayed for and you prayed for, for something to happen in their life. And then you can see, oh, it wasn't just this one. It was this because he shared with this one and then she shared with this one. And, and then we'd start to see a multitude of solely people at the throne of God worshiping and praising Jesus. That is the reward. That is what we look forward to. That is the hope that we have. And one other thing, there's been something really cool that's happened. Um, and at 12.30, we're going to be able to kind of talk a little bit more. Uh, but there's, there's now been an official uh, project set for Bible translation in the Soli language. Uh, so before I was talking about the Bible and how we were reading that, that's in the national language. Uh, there's a heart language that the Soli have, and that, that uh, is universal for every Soli person. They speak that language, and now we have a Bible being translated in that officially. So um, the fruits of your prayers, the fruits of your support, um, and, and your efforts to see the Soli come to know the Lord, we're starting to see those first fruits. So we, so we hope that you're encouraged by that and continue to uh, press forward in, in, in praying and, and standing in the gap for them. Well, thank you guys for sharing. And, and uh, we rejoice with you guys. We're proud of you guys. We love partnering with you guys. Thank you. 
church for praying, continuing to pray, starting to pray uh, for Pearl Island and for uh, Tony and Kaylin. For giving, a portion of our giving goes. Like when we hear about people coming to the Lord and baptisms, all those, that's, that's part of the fruit of your giving here. And uh, we uh, will continue and increase we're hoping, and how we can partner with you guys and what God's doing on that island. Uh, I want to pray for these guys. And so before we do, though, just a couple things. One, just the application for your life. is It is risky to trust God when it hurts, but it's so rewarding. And just take that risk. Lord, I don't know why, but I'm going to trust in you. For some of you that are taking that first step of trust today by trusting Christ, let us know. In your uh, program, there's a response card. You can say, today I'm trusting Christ. Uh, and we want to be able to help you grow. So turn that in here in a minute as we receive our offering. And we'd love to get back in touch with you, let you know how you can grow in Christ. Uh, if you want more information, at 1230 today, we invite you back. At 1230 today, from 1230 to 2 in room 104, 106, these guys are going to be able to explain a lot more detail and a lot more um, clarity about what's going on over there. And so uh, invite you to come back and, and hear them out. But here's what I want you guys to do. I'm going to invite everybody to stand. Everybody stand. I'm going to have you guys come stand down here on the front. Uh, this, is, this is a body of believers. We're not, we're not an audience, if you will. We're not here to um, entertain. Uh, we're here to do God's work. And so we're going to pray for Tony and Kaylin. And if, if you just feel moved to just come and put your hand on them, as far as just, we see that in scripture about laying hands on people to send them out, laying hands on people to, to um, you know, really uh, put them in a place of ministry. If you feel uh, de- desires to do that, come, come up here. Let's pray for them. Don't let that hold you back. We're going to close in prayer, receive our offering, and then worship out. And so let's pray for Tony and Kaylin. Pray for us. Father, thank you that you're trustworthy. God, thank you that you're there, you're loving, you're kind, you're good. God, we confess that we don't understand much of the pain that comes into our life. We don't understand why. Lord, it hurts. God, we confess our weakness in those moments. But Lord, we proclaim right now that you will start to hear from us, Lord. Although it hurts, although we don't understand it, we will trust in you. Help us to take that risk, Father. God, thank you for Tony and Kaylin, how they've taken that risk to step out and to live on an island that's not considered their home, away from family and friends. God, to reach a people that need to know you. God, we pray that you continue to protect them internally, mentally, emotionally, their souls, Lord, from the lies, the discouragement, the insecurities that the enemy would want to use to get them off that island. God, we pray against the external opposition, Lord, the sickness and the persecution and other things that might come, Lord. God, would you allow them to trust you, to take that risk, and for them to see the reward as they are. Lord, we pray for more solely people professing the name of Christ. Lord, we look forward, in Jesus' name, of hearing in person a solely testimony here at CVC. The person that would come and say, I had no idea about Jesus, but because of this couple and because of your prayers and gifts and teams, I know Jesus. So God, we give that to you, Lord. God, be with those who need you as Lord and Savior, that they would have the courage to profess that faith today. God, take these gifts, receive them so that more people can know about Jesus, more people can know about the one who's there for them in the pain. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen. Amen.